only source of true delight whom I unseen adore Unveil thy beauties to my sight that I might love thee more Oh that I might love thee more You're listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian the following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding dying. The scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Romans, chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. It's found on page 942 in the blue Bible in the pew in front of you. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Hear the word of the Lord. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. The word of the Lord. One of the uh, most terrible books I ever had which I tore up uh, one day in anger. Uh, I wish I hadn't because I still would like it as a testimony to how bad books can be, you know. But <clears throat> the book was entitled uh, So Winning Made Easy. And in the uh, book, among other things, was this certain point you get to in the, in the book, including things like why you shouldn't use too much scripture and you should use psychology, etc., uh, in this book, <clears throat> but just the fact that soul winning made easy, it's like, it's something you can do. It's something anybody can do. And it's not that hard, you know, like sales, you know, anybody can be a salesman. And, uh, <clears throat> at the particular point of the sale, it says you ask them if they want to receive Christ into their heart. And if they don't say anything, you put your hand on their shoulder and bow your head. It said, the psychological pressure of your bowing your head will almost always make them bow their head. That's just typical of the book. That will just usher them into the kingdom of God uh, when you bow your head. Well, you could look at this title and say the same thing. How to get, how you get a new life. (laughs) Like three easy steps. How to. I'm not much on how to and, but I, I, I put it this way really to make a point uh, that how we get a new life is nothing less 
than the death and resurrection of Christ. And the fact that we, by faith, can be joined to that death and resurrection. There's no other way to change your life. There's no other way to get a new life, to be a different person, than to be joined to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul doesn't set out here necessarily with this subject, let me show you how a person is transformed. He, as you see there beginning, he's dealing with an issue that might arise from all the talk about grace. If God has shut everyone up to sin, if God has let sin increase through the law, as he said at the end of chapter 5, and it completely showed its blackness so that grace might be all the more mighty and glorious and rescuing, why not just keep on sinning and let grace just keep on showing off? See, Just keep sinning and let grace manifest itself over and over again. In fact, a lot of people, when they hear about grace, they begin to think, well, just why don't you just do anything then if there's no rule but grace, if, if you don't have to... Uh, perform to be accepted by God. One time I was visited in my home back in Gadsden, Alabama when I was in college by a couple of Mormons. And we got to talking and I I relayed to them my understanding of grace, that I thought I was going to heaven because of what Christ had done for me. I had confidence in that, not because of anything I've done in myself, but because Christ has saved me and I'm resting in that. And they looked at me with the most puzzled look, and honestly and sincerely, they said, if you already know you're going to heaven, why do you obey God? They really couldn't understand that. Because in their mind, you keep doing the right thing in hope of being accepted by God. And if you do enough of the right things, maybe you'll make it to heaven. I found out I'm going to heaven already. Well, just check on out and go do whatever you want to. You're going to heaven. Why would you even bother anymore? Couldn't understand the motivation of love that occurs because of the relationship with Jesus Christ and the desire that's born in your heart to want to obey God because he has rescued you, because he has forgiven you. Well, Paul deals with this in a bit different way. This idea, well, could, why don't we just continue to sin so grace may abound? And he takes us to our union with Christ. And he says, continuing in sin cannot happen for those who believe in Christ. Because when you are incorporated into Christ, you are incorporated into his death and into his resurrection. And that means a death to your old life and a resurrection to a new life, and, of course, final resurrection. That's his basic treatment here. So we want to get into this and uh, pull the threads apart. It's not the easiest thing to understand, but what has been in Romans so far, right? First, I want to put it this way. Hopefully this will be a bit memorable. Christ is a corporation, okay? Christ is a corporation. Now, the theological term that many use is that Christ is corporate personality, okay? Corporate personality. That is, Christ contains in himself all of his people. That's not a fiction, that's a reality. 
that his people are joined to him. They're a part of him. And when he acts, he acts for them and in union with them. And that action through faith affects our lives in the here and now. And so he contains in himself the new humanity. He contains in himself the church. You're familiar, of course, with the fact that he is the head and we are the body. And it's such a glorious union that Paul can say in Ephesians 5, that's why he nourishes and cherishes the church, because it's his body. I love that because it gives the reason he cherishes us. Because we're his body. How can you not care what happens to your little fingernail if it gets nicked on the edge of a counter? You can't. That little pain concerns you because it's your fingernail. And you're aware of every little thing that happens to your body. You know, a scratch here or some kind of funny feeling. And You know, I had this little feeling in my... You're just so aware of your own body all the time. He nourishes and cherishes us Because we are his body. That's so comforting to me. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 says this. Just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so is Christ. See? Just like the body. Many members, one body, one body, many members. It's the same as Christ. Christ is the same way. He's a corporate entity, a corporate personality. And it's it's such that when he acts on our behalf, what he accomplishes, he accomplishes for them. And when we trust in him, we become a part of that accomplishment. We are joined to that accomplishment. That accomplishment begins to have its effect in our life as we're united to that accomplishment. And so even as the people of God, we're considered as a corporate group in him. Notice how he puts it in Ephesians 2.15. He says he brought us to himself that he might create in himself one new man. Speaking of Jews and Greeks here, but he says to create in himself one new man. That's us. That's the whole church. We're one man. See? Joined together in that way. Or Ephesians 4.13 says, We're to attain to the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man. Well, that's not speaking of each one of you. You 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 and you and you and you become a mature man. It's saying the whole church becomes this mature man. So we're always regarded, even though we're many, we're regarded as one and we're joined to Christ in this corporate entity. And remember, this comes, as it comes on the heels of chapter 5, chapter 5 is dealing with Adam and Christ, both of which which are these corporate entities. They stand over it against each other as the two great figures at the entrance of two worlds, two ages, two creations. Adam is the head of the old creation, from which has because of his sin, has come sin and death and condemnation. Christ stands as the head of the new humanity, the new creation. And from him flow righteousness and life. Excuse me. 
And so in each of their actions and each of their fates lies the decision of all who belong to them because each of them comprehends the whole. All that are in Adam go with him into death. All that are in Christ go with him into life. And as we said, uh, you're either attached to one of those belts. You're attached to one of those belts, either Adam or Christ. So another word for it is the universal, the universal personality that comprehend within themselves the members that belong to them. <clears throat> so Christ is a corporation. Secondly, we want to look at this, that Christ acts for his people. We know this in the sense of dying in our place so that he bears the judgment of God for us. But we need to see it in terms of his bringing us through death into resurrection. Bringing us through death into resurrection. Now, the words here when it talks about, in verse uh, 4... We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And then he says, For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Then he uses these terms, our old self crucified with him. And then he uses the term, the body of sin. Now, one understanding of this... and. Early on in my Christian life, this is how I understood it, was to mean that the old man is that old corrupt part of you that is put to death, and the new man is the new part of you that God has given you. So you're to put that old part of you to death, and you're to put on that new part of you. And I see from some of your looks like, why is that wrong? <laughs> Maybe. <clears throat> Um, maybe you're just half asleep. I don't know. But uh, <clears throat> that's what I read, okay, in your face. <clears throat> but it's not referring to this corrupt part of your nature because the background is chapter 5. Those who are in Adam, those who are in Christ. And so we need to think of this idea of the old man is the old humanity under the dominion of sin. The old life... Uh, the old Adam life that has a whole different set of connections is under a different government, under a different authority, under the power and influence of sin. And so the old man, that old existence in Adam, when Christ died, that old existence, it's as though Christ hooked himself to that train of death and he took death into the ravine and destroyed it. And then he comes out of the ravine alive and has now burst through into life so that we can go from living in that old existence to becoming a part of the new existence through his resurrection. And we'll talk about that, how our faith joins us to Christ and, and joining us to him, as Paul says, if you're joined to him, you're joined to his death and you're joined to his resurrection. And they work in you so that you die to your old life and you live to a new life. 
So Christ entered humanity, joined himself to sin and death. He was judged and condemned, but in his death, he put sin and death to death. Reminded perhaps of that great treatise by John Owen, the death of death in the death of Christ. The death of death in the death of Christ. Well, the death of death occurred and it had to occur. It had to spend itself completely. And so this has to do, when he talks about the old man crucified with him, he's talking about that which took place in Christ on the cross. The old existence was put to death. The old mode of existence lost its dominion and control over all of those who would trust in him. And so in, our, in Christ's death and resurrection, we can be transformed to the new order of life, the new creation, or what's called the new man. The new man, the new corporation in Christ. So the only way for this rule of sin to be ended is when it ends in death. And as one is written, Christ is the one who passed from one age and from one dominion to another. So you might say he blew the doors off of Adam existence. Regular human existence fixed in sin and death. And with his death, a whole age and existence ended and a new one has begun. It's as though we were in this prison house of sin and death. Christ entered into the prison house, suffered sin and death, and now a door has been blown open and light is shining in. Life can be had. And there are streams of life coming in to persuade and to renew us and to draw us into that stream of life that has been opened up through Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul is talking about here. He says, don't you know that when you trusted in Christ, which had then had, was symbolized in baptism, don't you know that when you had this incorporation into Christ, you were incorporated into death and resurrection? You can't continue in grace, be in grace, and then continue in sin. You can't. Because you participate in the transfer from one age to another age through his death and resurrection. So Christ is a corporation, but he acts for his people to die their death so that he can bring them into that new and glorious life. Now, thirdly, his people, and this is the last point, his people participate in Christ through what I'll call faith baptism conversion. Okay, Faith baptism conversion. This is how we participate in Christ. There's this corporate Christ. He acts on behalf of his people. Then through faith, we are joined to him. We participate in the accomplishment of Christ. Notice how Paul puts it here in verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? And then he speaks again in verse 4 of being joined through baptism into death so that we would then walk in newness of life. 
So through faith, and, and here, uh, we, I, wanna, I will talk some about the idea of baptism here and, and why I keep referring to faith here. Because in many places it talks about our new life in terms of faith. Uh, it talks about being crucified with Him and buried with Him and being raised with Him without mentioning baptism. So we know that faith is the centerpiece of this. It's not just baptism. But baptism is mentioned because it was always associated with faith. It's like talking about faith. But it's the outward sign and the, the sacrament that uh, outwardly incorporates us into Christ and outwardly incorporates us into uh, the body of Christ, the, the church. So through this, though, through faith and baptism, we're caught up into his death and resurrection and we're joined to all that Christ has done for his people so that his death and resurrection, you might say, become operational in our lives. His death and resurrection become operational in our lives. So it's not the death of your corrupt part to be replaced with a new part. It's the transfer of your whole self into a whole new realm, into a whole new lordship, into new connections and new government, under new ownership, belonging to someone else. That's what this joining to Christ does for us. It's a transfer of us. It's not just a change within us, although it, that's part of it. It's bigger than that. It's a transfer of our whole self. So that we've been caught up in the Christ whose death ended the old age of sin and death. Now that is glorious to think about. Wait a minute. I've been caught up and joined to Christ who ended the old age of sin and death, who went into the new age of life, and that's, that's who I am now. That's where I belong. Yes. That's why later in verse 11 he says, your, your self-assessment now, your self-judgment is this, that you're dead to sin and you're alive to God. You've been brought out of that dominion and now you're in a new lordship. You belong to Jesus Christ. So dying to this realm in which you were a slave and now transferred to a realm in which there is freedom from sin. As he says in verses 6 and 7, why was the old self crucified? So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So that, verse 5, we would walk in newness of life. Verse 7, so that we would be set free from sin. So participation in his death means a new life of obedience in the here and now because I'm joined to the powerful work of Jesus Christ that he accomplished 2,000 years ago. So Christ's, Christ's death is the one which puts us beyond the power of sin, not absolutely, but it puts us beyond the dominion of that sin. And so now we cannot live in it. We can't live under its realm. We can't live in its authority. We have a transition into our new life in Christ. Look how it's put in a different way, and maybe this will help uh, understand it better. In chapter 7, verse 4, here, instead of saying died to sin, he speaks of dying to the law 
because the law, even though the law is holy and good, the law keeps pressing upon us, showing us how poorly we do and the guilt that results from that and the failure that results from that and the increased sin because we're so bad, the more real we hear, the more we want to disobey it. So he says in chapter 7. So the law ends up being a death tool. So we need to be released from that law. He talks about dying to the law. Verse 4, chapter 7. Likewise, my brothers, you have also have died to the law. But notice when it happened. Through the body of Christ. Not just saying right now you've made a decision to turn away from that. But no, you died to the law through the body of Christ, through his death, so that you may belong to another, to him who's been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. So I was joined to the law. It was condemning me. Now I've died to that through the death of Christ. Now I belong to Christ. Now I belong to Christ. I've been joined to another. He talks about a woman whose husband dies and she is free to remarry. We have died to the law. We now are married to Christ and now we bear fruit. We bear fruit through our relationship with Christ through his death and his resurrection. And so Jesus, as Dunn says, is the only one who having reached the end of this age of Adam, broke through the road in barrier of death into the age beyond. Having died Adam's death as an act of obedience, he rose to a new life beyond. Christ's death and resurrection thus provide the doorway, and for Paul the only doorway, through death into life from this age under the power of sin to the new age free from sin. And to make the transition from old to new age, from sin through death to life, one must, as it were, be carried through by Christ. That's how you get a new life. You have to be carried through by Christ. You have to be carried through by his death and his resurrection. That's your ticket. (laughs) That's your hope. It's the death and resurrection of Christ. You and I must identify ourselves unreservedly with the historical event of Christ's death in all its degradation and suffering, in this sacrificial offering, in his obedience. And only those who make themselves one with his death, trusting in that death, Entrusting themselves to Christ in this way, those are the only ones that will experience the new life of resurrection. We entrust ourselves to the crucified one. He's our only hope. He's our only hope of putting sin, the dominion of sin, to death. We die to this world, Scripture says, and so we die to the influences of this world. We we die to belonging to this world and being uh, the, the stimuli of this world, <clears throat> we die to this world's rebellion and desire. <clears throat> it's interesting when Paul talks about this in Galatians 2, 
He says, I died to the law so that I might live to God. That's talking about the old world that I was in under the law and its condemnation. Now I've died to that in Christ and now I live to God. Or Galatians uh, chapter 2, I've been crucified with Christ. He's talking about that event. I was crucified. We, the people of God, were crucified in Him. And now we live, live a new life in Him. And passage after passage talks about this union that we have with Him. And as I said, usually not mentioning baptism. Many times just mentioning faith. But let's talk a little bit about this faith-baptism connection. One reason, because this passage is often used as a basis for uh, teaching immersion. That it, you must, uh, in other words, that immersion must teach that you die and are raised in the baptism itself. One interesting thing here, and we can quote a passage in Galatians 3 that says the same thing, but he says in verse 3, we were baptized into Christ. That's the fundamental idea. And Paul is arguing from that to say, if you're baptized into Christ, incorporated into Christ, then it must mean that you're incorporated into his death and resurrection. That's the point of baptism. As it's stated in Galatians 3, as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So in, in both of those cases, some would say perhaps even more than water baptism is, is the thought of the baptism of the Spirit, the Spirit incorporating us into Christ with baptism as kind of the background, or water baptism. And then think about this passage in 1 Corinthians 10. And, and this really helps us understand this being incorporated into someone I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, talking about the, the Israel, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Now, speaking of the glory cloud and speaking of passing through the sea dry, so they weren't sprinkled, immersed, or poured, okay? They were dry. They went through the sea. So it's not talking about mode, of course. But the point is, through the cloud, the instrument of redemption and the parting of the sea, the, that other instrument of redemption, they were incorporated into Moses. They were a part of Moses. They were, they were part of the people of God under Moses. And there again, it's that word baptized, incorporated, put into Christ. And of course, with, with pouring... You have joined to that idea of incorporation, the idea of the Spirit being poured out in our lives. The Spirit incorporating and putting us into Christ. It's interesting that, that 1 Corinthians 12, 13 uses this very language. In one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body. And all were made to drink of one Spirit. So there it specifically says the Spirit baptized us into the one body. So certainly he's up front in that baptism. And so you can see how appropriate at least, although this passage I don't think teaches mode one way or another. In fact, some have pointed out that it specifically is not about immersion because if you're incorporated into Christ, 
you're not going to be pulled back out of Christ, okay? That's not what it intends, that you're put into Christ and you're permanently joined to Christ. Well, at least pouring can still have that meaning in that you're, the Spirit is poured out on you in, into your life, incorporating you into, into Christ, incorporating you into the body of Christ, and resting upon you and filling you with the glory of Christ and manifesting the glory of Christ. And so this passage, while it doesn't uh, talk about one mode or the other, it certainly doesn't attack uh, the mode of of pouring. So the idea, though, of of faith is is behind, of of course, baptism. The, The scriptures never talk about baptism all on its own, apart from faith, bringing these things uh, to, to bear in our lives. Uh, it's all through uh, faith, baptism, conversion, all taken together. Uh, and so even for uh, our, our children, this incorporate, this, this sign, in addition to pointing out the pouring out of Christ and the renewing grace of the Holy Spirit, the pouring out of the Spirit, that renewing grace of the Spirit, and the cleansing and purification which water always intends in Scripture. It can be a sign for them of incorporation. And, of course, it becomes the outward sign of their being incorporated into the body of Christ. And with the hope, of course, that as they will see this glorious sign and and in the... As God brings it about in their lives, that they will trust Him to bring them from the old realm into the new. Already, you see, they are being confronted with this fact. There are two realms. There is a realm of Adam and there is a realm of Christ. There is a realm of the old. And you have been brought sacramentally into the realm of the new. And by God's grace, you will experience that in the full as you trust in this God. It's the same thing when uh, a proselyte was circumcised and would take on Yahweh and trust in Yahweh and, and trust in Him to circumcise their heart and want to live out that faith. Still, they would give all of that spiritual sign to their children uh, so that they would be drawn into that as well by God's grace. Well, just a word uh, of application. This, for you and for me, must have this ongoing application of our using His death and resurrection for our continual freedom from sin. And let me just suggest uh, a way to, to pray, a way to look at this. It's not just a mysticism of feeling close to Christ or feeling like you're in contact with Him, but you're really seeking to let the death of Christ have an increasing effect in your own life. Have you ever thought about that? Let the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ have an increasing effect in my life so that I have a rising consciousness that I belong to the one who has died completely to this world and to sin. That's who I belong to. I live in union with the one that has entered into the resurrection life. 
That's why even though he talks about the future resurrection, he's talking about present. Because he says, we shall be united with him in a resurrection like his. He's talking about bodily resurrection. But he argues from that, since we have that hope and we're joined to that resurrection, it has ramifications right now. We have a new power and a new life even now as we identify ourselves with this one who died and as we live out the enabling power of his resurrection. A prayer that you and I can pray is, Lord Jesus, catch me up in your death and resurrection. Lord, I trust in what you have accomplished to bring me out of that realm. And this is having an effect in my life, even though these are things I've known for many years, but studying them again, it's having an effect even now. It has an effect when you think about the hurts that you have experienced in your life and the destructive way you've coped with those hurts and maybe multiplied sin in your life. You see, that's the old dominion. That's the old life in Adam. That's under the uh, authority, so to speak, and the powers that were. Christ has put those to death once and for all. In his new humanity, he's created a new freedom. And so for me, I'm, I'm taking different areas of my life and I'm asking myself the question, why am I still doing this thing? Why have I not changed this? Why do I feel helpless in this or that area? Why do I feel so frustrated? <clears throat> and I'm beginning to see change, not really by trying more, but by thinking through what I am in Christ Jesus. Now, it means that I will try, and I am trying. (laughs) But it's rooted in this idea that I really am free in Him because He really did pass from death to life, and I really am united in Him. I'm really part of the corporate Christ. That's why He says in verse 11, you must... He says, it's necessary for you to consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God. Even when we present ourselves to God as an offering in verses 12 through 14, we present ourselves as those alive from the dead. See, that's a self-judgment. I'm, I'm, I'm a new person. I'm part of the new corporation in Christ, the new humanity. I'm not bound by these things. I don't have to be bound by these things. I can renew my vigor against them. I can make these decisions and I can walk in newness of life because I've died in him and I have been set free from sin, it says in verse 7. That's what it says. That is not an imagination. That is not hopeful thinking. It's the new reality that is ours in Christ Jesus. And the reason he did that is so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. The death on the cross was horrible. It was horrific. It it was beyond imagination. Think of what he meant to accomplish through this rigorous, unlimited pain so that you would no longer be a slave. I love this phrase. that he was raised by the glory of the Father. We don't have time to search it out, but 
Glory and power and spirit are used constantly in Scripture. And this may be a reference to the Spirit, certainly to the power of God. But it also points to, in, in the resurrecting of Christ, the majesty of God was displayed. And it probably indicates that in the resurrection of Christ, He entered into a whole new glorious life, a whole new glory, raised by the glory of the Father. Brothers and sisters, that's the glory into which you've been raised. So he can say in 2 Corinthians 3, as we view Christ, as we look at him as in a mirror, we are being transformed from glory to glory. That's the new resurrected life. That's the new humanity that is taking on more and more of the glory of Christ. And so, in the words of our song, rise up, rise up. You've been raised. Rise up and walk in your new life. Let us pray. Lord, we we honor you. We adore you. You would act on our behalf, that you would take us to yourself that you would do this heroic work for the sake of your people, carrying us through death into life. We thank you that through faith, we thank you that through the outward sign of baptism, that, Lord, we are incorporated into Christ We are incorporated into that death and resurrection. We are joined to you, Lord. May we put on Christ. May we put on this new man, this new humanity, and walk in it, Lord, with new vigor and new eagerness, new expectation of what can happen a new love to our wives and to our husbands and to our children, a new love to our neighbor, a new resistance to sin in all of its many forms as we are tempted by it, a new kindness and humility, a new purity. Oh, Lord, bless us. Bless us that we truly will believe that we are now in Christ, dead to sin, but alive to God. Bless us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Jesus, my Lord, my life, my life. Come with blissful rain Break radiant through the shades of night And 
chase my fears away? Won't you chase my fears away?